Welcome to the Lang Money Hour, where smart money talks with expert advice from Jim Lang, Pittsburgh-based CPA, attorney, and retirement and estate planning expert. Jim is also the author of Retire Secure, Pay Taxes Later. To find out more about his book, his practice, Lang Financial Group, and how to secure Jim as a speaker for your next event, visit his website at paytaxeslater.com. Now, get ready to talk smart money. We are talking smart money. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Nicole DiMartino, along with Jim Lang, CPA, attorney, and best-selling author of Retire Secure. Also, today we have another IRA expert joining us, Barry Picker, who is a certified public accountant. He also happens to uh, have the personal financial specialist designation from the AICPA, as well as the esteemed CFP, Certified Financial Planner. Um, and I also should point out that CPA Magazine named Barry one of the top 40 tax advocates to know during a reception. So, you know, Barry, you were uh, with us last August and you blew people away with your excellent advice. So thank you so much for joining us. It's really great to have you. It's great to be back. Thank you. Sure. And, and, I'll, and I'll just add a note. Not only did he give us tremendous advice, it, Barry's been giving people tremendous advice regarding Roth IRAs since 1998 he was one of the very early people to write some really cutting-edge information on Roth IRAs and Roth IRA conversions and Roth IRA recharacterizations and his most recent book is is pretty amazing in terms of the, um, the, the some of the technical concepts that we're going to be getting into so I'm just I'm just delighted to have you again Barry thank you well, before we actually dive into, uh, Jim, what you were saying, I wanted to congratulate Barry on his newest book, too. It's uh, 100 Roth IRA Examples and Flowcharts. And, and you know, Barry, I took a look at the book myself, and it, it, it is excellent. It's a great resource. It's a great tool for people to have in their personal library. So nice job. Yeah, and it's not the kind of thing, the book that reads like Harry Potter. It's, the, it's like the real, you know, core explanation w through examples um, this is the kind of book that engineers and and quantitative type people will just love. So again, congratulations on a fine job. Thank you. And uh, I have to uh, admit that it uh, was actually written um, with Bob Keebler, mm -hmm. and so he gets uh, a lot of the credit for this also. Right, and he and he was actually on the show last week or last month, mm -hmm. and he 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 did a great job. But Barry, one of the things I would like to start with, you made a point the last time you were here that was just so good and so insightful. And I guess it was one of those points that when you hear it, you, you say, oh yeah, I kind of knew that, but you articulate it in such a way. You said that if you make a Roth IRA conversion, that it's like making an IRA contribution in the amount of the tax that you paid on the Roth IRA. So let's say for discussion's sake, you make, I'll, I'll go with a, a big easy number to think about. Let's say you make a, a million dollar Roth IRA conversion and you pay $350,000 in taxes. So we're not going to start small. We're going we're to start big. You said that that is like making a $350,000 contribution to an IRA as long as you pay the taxes on the Roth IRA conversion from outside the IRA. I thought perhaps if you could expand on that thought a little bit because I thought it was so insightful and just this alone is going to be um, a, just a tremendous resource for our listeners. Well, Jim, the point there is that when the individual has the $1 million traditional IRA, because of the fact that the taxes haven't been paid on it, there's a million dollars working for the taxpayer, but it's not all his. 350000 of it belongs to the government. Uh, so really... It's a net account, if it were to be liquidated at that point, of $650,000. But if you convert it into a Roth and you pay the taxes from outside the IRA uh, umbrella, then now you have a million dollars in a Roth IRA, and that's a pure million dollars because when you, you leave it there for a qualified distribution, it will never be taxed. And now you have a million dollars working for you and you don't have a partner anymore in that million dollars. Well, that, I, I think that that's such a good way of looking at it because you're, in effect, 
making a massive contribution to your retirement plan. And is it fair to say that, in effect, that that contribution is the amount of money that you pay in taxes on the conversion? Well, yes. And, and basically what you're doing and, and what you hope to be doing with a conversion is that you're, you're buying out your partner. Uncle Sam is your partner in your IRA. And you're buying out your partner so that now all the future profit, let's call it that, all the future profit is all yours because you no longer have that partner. So, and, and hopefully you're doing that at, at, at before the, the uh, investment appreciates and I, I like the I like the way you're putting it. You're buying out your partner. You're buying out your partner. You know, let's hopefully at the low point, and then all the additional growth is yours, income tax free. Right. I mean, the the idea of your your IRA is that you have a a very good investment, a very good business, uh, if you want to put it that way, um, and you would like it to be all yours. Well, I I, I just love the way you put that. Um, I know that last time we talked a little bit about running the numbers, and I know you are one of the great, and I mean this literally, that you are one of the great number runners um, in the country, meaning that if a, if a real-life client comes to you with a particular set of facts and circumstances that would include, for example, how much money they have inside the IRA, how much money they have outside the IRA, what their income is, what their projected income is, and um, perhaps even some information about their heirs, that you actually, we call it running the numbers, as our firm does, um, to help them make decisions regarding Roth IRA conversions. And obviously, without naming any names, could you tell me a little bit about your process and some of the conclusions that you have come up with um, while running your numbers? And I, I know it's hard to say in a typical situation, but in in a situation that perhaps might be similar to some of our listeners? Well, there aren't that many typical situations. <laughs> that's, but, fa that's fair. You know, we, we've had situations where there have been uh, individuals with, with very large IRAs uh, that makes up a substantial part of their estate. And for estate planning purposes, for, for these people, uh, and we are assuming that there is going to be an estate tax. Uh, for these people, paying the tax now and reducing their estate by the amount of the, the income tax that is being paid ends up leaving more money for the heirs. So that's a, you know, a, a situation that we come across uh, fairly, uh, fairly often. Uh, then there's the... Wait, be, before, the you, before you go on, because sure. that, that's such a great point, and I don't know if everybody understands how, how powerful that is, because one of the old, one of the old IRA strategies, when somebody had um, a lot of money in their IRA and they were going to be subject to estate tax, and even today, even if you're not subject to federal estate tax, you're still likely subject to, say, in Pennsylvania, PA inheritance tax, or in New York, what the um, inheritance tax over there or whatever state you happen to be in. One of the old strategies was you would cash in your IRA before you died. And that way, so let's say for discussion's sake, you had a million dollars in the IRA, you had $300,000 outside the IRA, you cashed in your IRA, you paid $300,000, so you would die within, within your estate of a million dollars instead of a million three. You still had the same purchasing power, and your heirs still had the same purchasing power, but your estate was only a million dollars instead of a million three, so you saved the estate tax on $300,000 worth of assets. Now, what Barry's saying is, hey, let's take it a step better. That old strategy was okay, but now that we don't have the $100,000 limitation anymore, let's make the million-dollar Roth IRA conversion before somebody dies, and that way they themselves will be better off and we can get to that but their heirs will, will also get, not only get the benefit of the tax-free um, growth on the Roth IRA but they will also get all the um, reduction in the um, f both federal and state um, federal estate tax and PA or other state inheritance tax I, I assume that's what you're talking about right Barry yes but you know and Jim the, the old way, when the person would cash out the IRA, they were giving up 
the potential for stretching distributions after death. So it was sort of like a, a trade-off that somebody had to decide which way was, was better. Now with the Roth conversion, it's a win-win both ways. You get the benefit of the estate tax savings, and you still have the benefit of stretching out IRA distributions, in this case on a tax-free basis, so that the heirs could be getting multiples of what the account is worth at the time of death. Yeah, I think that's a very good point, because there are minimum required distributions of inherited Roth IRAs, just like there's an minimum required distributions of inherited traditional IRAs, but the difference is the minimum required dis distribution of the inherited Roth IRA is income tax-free to the heir. And let's say you name a grandchild as a beneficiary with a 50-year life expectancy, you only have to take out about 2% of the balance and the remainder continues to grow income tax-free. In, in that case, most likely you can get a situation of, let's say, a 50-year payout that for 40 of those years, most likely the account will actually be growing. It will only be in the, the last part of that payout period that you will actually see a decline in account balance. All right. Well, um, can you, I think we have to break in a few minutes, but could you give us maybe one more example of something that you have found um, with running the numbers? Generally, uh, among younger people, there's, there's no question, uh, people who are many years away from retirement, that these people are better off doing a, a Roth conversion, uh, again, so that the, the growth in the account is going to be tax-free, and when they get to be their retirement age, they'll be able to take out tax-free money. Okay, this looks like a good good point here. We're going to take a break. Quick quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about running the numbers, and then uh, we're going to look at a few specific examples in Barry's book. So please stay tuned. You're listening to the Lang Money Hour with Jim Lang, Barry Picker, where smart money talks. The Lang Money Hour, where smart money talks, featuring the expert advice of Pittsburgh-based CPA attorney Jim Lang. More coming up on KQV AM 1410. The Lang Money Hour continues on KQV AM 1410. For all of your financial needs, turn to Lang Financial Group in Squirrel Hill, 412-521-2732. Let's talk more smart money. We are talking smart money. I'm Nicole DiMartino, and I'm here with Jim Lang, CPA attorney and best-selling author of Retire Secure, and our friend and colleague, Barry Picker. Welcome back. Barry, the... you. Earlier, you said that you ran the numbers and you found making Roth IRA conversions for younger taxpayers very favorable. What has been your experience with retirees and people who were, you know, after after they are done working and they're they're um, no longer have an income from their job or from their um, business? Well, in those cases, we're we're finding that if if people are actually living off the IRA money, if the retiree is living off the IRA money uh, currently, uh, then in those cases, many times, it doesn't pay to do a conversion. One of the advantages of the conversion, well, one of the, one of the ways to have an advantage from the conversion is that there has to be a certain time frame uh, that will really make up for, for prepaying the taxes. Uh, but for many people, we're finding if they have very, very large retirement accounts, then figuring out how much of it they actually need and taking the excess and converting that and making that the legacy for the children and in many cases the grandchildren uh, again works out better for the family overall. It's interesting. I sometimes come to the same conclusion, but I often just do it based on tax brackets, which I'm sure is also important in your analysis too. Well, tax brackets is, is definitely one of the factors that we have to take into account. So if you have somebody who's in a lower bracket, then we can do a conversion to, quote, fill that bracket. And, you know, let's say pay some taxes, especially if we can pay it at 15% or less, uh, then, and convert it into a Roth, and that's a, a, a great thing. And especially because many retirees, if they, they want to leave it to their, their children, which they do, uh, the children are in their earning years, and of course the children are therefore in a much higher bracket. So you're paying tax 
at the parents' bracket uh, to give money to the children uh, who then don't have to pay tax on it. Yeah, that, that's what we have found, too. When we, when we run numbers, we often end up with the recommendation that people do um, a, a series of Roth IRA conversions over a period of years, often based on tax brackets. And we, we sometimes find that it makes sense to even go one bracket more than your current bracket. So, for example, sometimes we have 25% taxpayers go to the 28% bracket, and we find that um, in the long run, or even not such a long run, that that's actually a favorable um, tax strategy for a lot of clients. I don't know if you found similar things in, in your analysis. We, we found the same thing, especially when we're talking about a difference of only 3%, uh, because it doesn't take... It doesn't take much to be able to, uh, you know, make up that difference. Okay. I'll tell you what I'd like to switch over to <clears throat> is a strategy that, you, that you've written about, that Bob Keyboard's written about, that I've written about. And you go way back, because you were writing about this, at least a variation of this strategy, way back in 1998. And that is the strategy of making a Roth IRA conversion and then at some point in the future, um, with a deadline of October 15 of the year following the year that you make the conversion, of recharacterizing that. I'm wondering if you could tell me a little bit about what you are doing in terms of proactive strategies and separation of accounts in order to get the most for the IRA owners using the strategy of um, a series of Roth IRA conversions and some recharacterizations, or I prefer to use the word undo, to describe the legal concept of recharacterization. Well, there's two ways that we're doing this. One is asset segregation, basically where we're doing a series of Roth conversions, possibly all at the same time, but we're segregating the, the uh, traditional account by asset class, such as, let's say, large cap, small cap, uh, maybe fixed income. And we're converting each of those into a brand new separate Roth IRA. So an individual may do a, a series of conversions and end up with five or six Roth IRAs uh, at the same time. And then looking later, again, we have up until October 15th of the year after, so for 2010 conversions, we have until October 15, 2011, to look back and see, well, of, of these asset classes, did, did any of them uh, have a bad year? Did any of them lose money uh, in the interim between the time that we did this, this conversion and uh, you know, the October 15th or, or an earlier date? Uh, and those we recharacterize. We basically undo those because you're paying tax on the value at the time of the conversion, and if it, the value goes down, then we, we want to undo that. We had a, an example last week, an individual um, who did that, and he put, had a very, very large position in one stock. That, that is, he did that in 2009? He did, no, he did this in 2010. Oh, okay. He did 2010. He did a... a, a, a he, had a number of very large positions in his traditional IRA, and he converted each one into a separate Roth. Uh, and this particular stock, he had, I think, 350,000 shares of it, um, of which 100,000 he sold off, and the other 250,000, um, there was a news event on the stock, and the stock lost about 60% of its value right away. And he then sold the remaining shares and said that he was going to go to a recharacterization. Um, and I said to him that, that there was no rush to do it because of the rules on reconversion, that he could not reconvert this money again until the beginning of 2011. And so even though he had lost a significant amount of money, um, he should wait until the latter part of the year just in case, by some miracle, he was able to reinvest in some great winner that more than made up for the loss. So there's a you know, matter of timing when you want to do your recharacterization. Well, I, I know. I love that strategy of, of making multiple conversions and then looking 
Um, at, f at first, I thought that you that you were advocating only looking, say, in October 2011. But now, as I understand it, you're also advocating a strategy where people make a Roth IRA conversion and then reevaluate it during 2010. Let's say in well, November. Actually, November is, is you're correct, Jim. November is actually the time that we're telling people to look because the rule is that you can't reconvert until the earlier, until the later of the following year, the year after the original conversion, or the 31st day after the recharacterization. So by looking in November and recharacterizing in November, then right at the beginning of January 2011, you can grab that IRA account and convert it again into a Roth. Right, and, and the other possibility too, on the other hand, that in that case then that, that, that recharacterization or that conversion would be effective for tax year 2010. I'm sorry, 2011. Would it also be a reasonable strategy um, to, let, let's say somebody had, again, we'll go back to the million dollars because it's a nice, easy number, and they had 10 accounts, and they were all $100,000 each, and they were all, they all had negative correlations, that is, the investments tended to do the opposite of what the other ones did. Would it be a reasonable idea then to perhaps convert seven of them, for example, then, so let's say it's so we convert seven in, in March or April 2010, um, and we leave three out. Then we take a look in November 2010, and let's say that we have had some go down. Would it be an interesting idea to recharacterize those in 2010, and then perhaps convert some of the ones that we didn't convert? That is, you're not allowed to convert recharacterize and convert the same ones, but you are allowed to convert, recharacterize, and then make a Roth IRA conversion of something that you had not converted. So have you ever seen or heard that strategy? Well, that's, that's the other strategy we, we advocate. We look at it slightly different, but it, it's the same theory. Uh, let's say the person with the million-dollar account decides based upon brackets and, and everything else and how much money they have outside, whatever, that 250,000 is the good number to convert this year. So they segregate that 250,000 worth of assets and convert it. They leave 750,000 in their traditional IRA. And then let's say we get to November and that first 250,000 has gone down in value. So we're going to recharacterize that. But before we do the recharacterization, because it's just easier and cleaner this way, before we do that recharacterization of this Roth IRA, we're going to take another, let's say, 250000 worth of what's left in the traditional and convert that into a second brand-new Roth IRA. We're not going to touch the first one right now. And we're going to create that second Roth IRA. And then once we do that, then we'll recharacterize the first one because then there's no question that, the, uh, that we have not reconverted the same money. I, I like that. I, I'll tell you what, what, what I really like about the way that we're, that we're discussing this is that really <clears throat> most IRA owners um, could very well likely benefit from a Roth IRA conversion strategy. And it's not just a one-pronged strategy where you make a conversion of X dollars and then you forget it. It's, it's literally ser a, potentially a series of conversions and recharacterizations and conversions of different money and that's what I try to to really impress upon people that this isn't a one-time shot that we really want to take um, almost a global view and come up with a good long-term Roth IRA conversion strategy. Well the way I put it Jim is that the question for most people isn't should I or shouldn't I? The question really is is, is how much and when. In other words, we go with the assumption, or not the assumption, but basically for most people the answer is yes, there is some strategy of Roth conversion that works for you. We just, just have to figure out which one that is. All right. And on that note, we're actually going to have to take a quick break. Uh, we're talking about Roth IRAs and conversions and recharacterization of those uh, IRAs. And I'm here with Jim Lang and Barry Picker. It is the Lang Money Hour, where smart money talks. 
The Lang Money Hour, where smart money talks, featuring the expert advice of Pittsburgh-based CPA attorney Jim Lang. More coming up on KQVAM 1410. The Lang Money Hour continues on KQVAM 1410. For all of your financial needs, turn to Lang Financial Group in Squirrel Hill, 412-521-2732. Let's talk more smart money. We are talking smart money today. I have Jim Lang here with Barry Picker, and we're the last segment we left off. We were talking about recharacterizations, and um, actually, I want to give a quick note for you, um, for those of you out there who are um, really intrigued by this and would like to hear it firsthand. I, I want to just let you know that we are going to be having a free workshop um, and Jim is going to be doing this presentation it's a two-hour workshop the next one is March 20th Saturday March 20th it's going to be held at the Pittsburgh Golf Club and we have two times available 9:30 to 11:30, and another workshop from 1 o'clock to 3 o'clock and Jim the the golf club you tell us <laughs> The, the, the Pittsburgh Golf Club, which is, by the way, my old stomping grounds. I literally grew up at Shenley Park Gol- on Shenley Park Golf Course. If you go to Shenley Park Golf Course, if you go into the main lot, and then you just keep going along a road, um, you will hit the Pittsburgh Golf Club. Or the other way is if you are on Northumberland Street in Squirrel Hill and you go away from Murray Avenue and it almost looks like you're going into a dead end, which actually you are, You'll, you'll also reach the Pittsburgh Golf Club. Or if you're playing golf, it is literally the tee on number 18 at the <laughs> Shenley Park Golf Course. But, but it is a, a, a terrific venue, and it's a, it's, a, it's a lovely facility, and they do a great job for us. Thanks. Uh, we're excited about it again. March Saturday, March 20th, if you want to reserve your seat, we've been actually having these monthly, and they're certainly filling up. You can call us um, and reserve your seat, 800 800- Three eight seven one one two nine, or you can always jump on our website at retiresecure.com. But uh, turn it back over to you, Jim. Okay. Um, Barry, be- before we were talking a little bit about running the numbers, and you told me over the break that you had um, an interesting surprise that you found when you ran the numbers, and I had one too. So I thought maybe we would we would switch into that, and you could tell me some of the surprises that you found with running the numbers. Okay, Jim. We found situations where the individual had large IRA money, uh, and they really didn't have any money outside the IRA. Uh, Many times when people talk about the advantages and whether they should do Roth conversions, you hear people say that don't do a Roth conversion if you don't have the money outside the IRA to pay the taxes. And we've come across cases where that just isn't true. The individual has a large IRA. They're, they're up in, in years. They're in their, their 60s, uh, maybe 70s. And the overall financial picture is that they should do a Roth conversion, even though it means that they're going to have to take money from their retirement plan in order to pay these income taxes. And it just works out going through the, the numbers and looking at the entire family situation that even though you're going to be using IRA money to pay the taxes, it is still advantageous, both for the individual and for the family. Well, by the way, that, that, is, um, that does kind of fly in the face of conventional wisdom. And the numbers that I have read or, or run said, if you were in the exact same tax bracket forever, no matter what, if there was no such thing as a minimum required distribution and you didn't care at all about the next generation, that if you make a Roth IRA conversion and you pay the taxes from the conversion from inside the IRA, that it's a dead break even. But I guess if you're saying, hey, in the real world, taxes, tax rates do change, minimum required distributions do go up over time, and estate planning is an important factor. And when you ran those numbers, apparently you found that people, should, that at least some people should be making Roth IRA conversions even though they don't have the money to pay the taxes from outside the IRA. Is that right? That's correct. All right. Well, that, that, that is interesting because that is, that's very similar to, to a surprise that we found in, in running numbers for Roth IRA conversions. We always assumed that you know, doing these larger conversions was, was often going to make sense. But one of the things that we found was 
if you have a larger IRA and you make too much of a Roth IRA conversion, that what, that ha what will happen is your minimum required distributions in future years will be much lower and sometimes your tax bracket will be lower because of the lowered minimum required distributions because you made the Roth IRA conversion and it was actually counterproductive to make too, too much of a Roth IRA conversion. And that, that, that kind of surprised me. But as long as we're talking about uh, number running and Roth IRA conversions, let me tell you something I wrestle with, and maybe you have a, an answer to it. Um, we all know that if tax rates go up, that the Roth IRA conversion is going to be even more advantageous. But typically, I'm a little bit too conservative to just assume that, except for the tax rates that we already know are going up. Do you, do you factor that into your um, analysis, Barry? Well, generally, like you, we just assume the tax rates that we know, and then we just anecdotally mention the fact that if tax rates go up, which we expect that that's going to happen, uh, at least for the highest brackets, then it just is that much better. But we don't necessarily uh, you know, quantify that. Okay, and, and even though that you often do recommend uh, multiple conversions and then perhaps a series of recharacterizations, you still like to run the numbers to have a game plan before you, before you go into the whole thing. Is that correct? Yes, yes. Uh, it's, it's sort of like a football game. You, you, you need to know what you're going to do in, in certain situations. So you have to have a game plan, and, and the game plan has to include uh, what's going to happen if, you know, these accounts go up, what's going to happen if these accounts go down, uh, are we going to do a series of conversions through the years, uh, when is the time to recharacterize, under what circumstances will we recharacterize, you know, it's a, it's a whole game plan. Well, I, I, I love the way you do that, and in, in, in your book on page 19, you have a really nice timeline chart for recharacterizations, and then, then you even have some of the strategies on page 21 that I, I think I think that page alone um, is, is wealth is worth way more than the cost of the book um, and I maybe you can talk a little bit about what you what you the way you are doing the conversion and recharacterization and what you call the Roth segregation strategy on page 21 and then actually the way it works out on page 21 and page 22 um, and then your example 45 showing the effective tax rate I just think was just so powerful well the, the segregation strategy is what we spoke about before uh, that in, in this example the individual has a traditional IRA of, of 500,000 and he's going to convert it um, and we kept this one simple basically uh, he created two separate Roth IRAs with with two separate stocks. Uh, and, and that's another way to do a segregation strategy is, is based upon securities because the, the rules say that you can't cherry pick if you have two stocks in one IRA and one goes down and one goes up. You can't just take the one that went down and, and recharacterize and, and get rid of the income for that one. So uh, in this example, you know, we, we did, again, two separate stocks and you know, of 250000 each, one goes down in value, one goes up in value, and we just take the one that goes down in value and we, we characterize that, uh, you know, eliminate that amount of, um, of, of taxable income and then just hold it uh, and hopefully we'll do a conversion in the following year. And, and, and I just love that. And then, then you, you kind of continue on with that on, on, the, on the next two pages and come up with an effective tax rate um, where you, by doing a series of conversions and recharacterizations, you actually end up paying less tax um, or, looked at another way, you're getting a, a bigger Roth IRA conversion for your buck. Well, and that's, that's the whole point here, again, because the, the growth after the conversion is, is tax-free. Uh, and, of course, any decline after the conversion, you're, you're losing money, so you want to get rid of that account that has a decline after the conversion, and then reconvert it at the lower value. Um, you know, the, the, the history of the market is that there are ups and downs, but the long-term trend is up. 
So we, we love to do whatever strategy we can to try to hit the low point of value to get the conversion, because then, as you put it, you get more bang for the buck. Well, I'll tell you the, the biggest bang for the buck that I can think of, um, with perhaps the exception of, of, of buying my book, <laughs> is looking at page 24 on your book. I cannot imagine anybody not getting at least 10 times or even 100 times the value of the cost of the book. And I might ask Nicole to just put in w one more time how they can get this book before we go into that. How, how can... How can somebody who is interested in getting the 100 Roth IRA examples and flowcharts, what can they do, Nicole? If people are interested in getting the book, you can either uh, make a call to 1-800-809-0015, or you can order the book on uh, Barry's website. And what is Barry's website? Barry, maybe you can help us with yeah. that. Yeah, www.pwacpa.com. P is in Peter, W-A-C-P-A.com. Okay. Um, you know, I almost hesitate to, to give people this information on page 24. When I first saw page 24, um, which is basically a recharacterization comprehensive example, it just blew me away. I just thought it was literally brilliant. And believe it or not, Barry, I, at first, you know, John Bledsoe had, and I had talked about some of these strategies earlier on. Um, and I wasn't really quite on board with it. But then when I saw you and, and, and um, Bob Keebler and the logic that you presented on page 24, example 48, recharacterization comprehensive examples, I really am changing, um, at least with some clients, the way we are doing these conversions. And I actually think that this is just a great thing. And, and the other thing is I've wrestled with my money manager who isn't necessarily thrilled with with doing it this way because it's more work for him and 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 luckily they have agreed to do it at least with the with the um, larger accounts but I actually thought that your example on page 24 the recharacterizations where you have different dates and different actions and I thought perhaps maybe you can even just go through one example and I know that the listeners don't have the advantage of having the book in front of them although frankly I hope they they will soon but if you could perhaps just take one one example and and go through what you what you have recommended, I think well, that would be basically here we have a five hundred thousand dollar account that we've converted into five different Roth IRAs, each worth a hundred thousand dollars at the time of conversion. Uh, we then look at these five accounts uh, first at November thirtieth, and again we pick that date because the earliest that we could reconvert if we wanted to would be on January. Uh, first of 2011, but you also have to wait at least to the 31st day, so that's why we picked the end of November. Uh, on that date, we see that, that two of the accounts have gone up in value, uh, one is even, and two have gone down. So we, on that date, recharacterize the two accounts that have gone down, uh, and then we reconvert those two accounts right at the beginning of 2011. Uh, then we look again at on uh, April 15, 2011, and we see that that third account that had been even and we had held it has now gone down. So in April of 2011, we, we, we recharacterize that one, wait 31 days, and then convert it again. Um, in the meantime, the first two accounts have gone up in value, so we, we hold those, we hold those through and uh, never recharacterize those. Those are the ones that we pay tax on 200000 100000 each of the accounts, but they've gone up in value, and we've managed to pick up, uh, in this example, um, uh, by the beginning of 2012, 30000 of, of tax-free income on each one. And, and that's really just an incredible result about that shows how much better people can do if they are on top of this and using the appropriate strategies. Well, I'm sorry, I have to butt in one last time. We're going to take a quick break. Um, when we come back, we'll probably finish looking at the book, and then I know that you wanted to touch on the uh, the one-person 401K. And, right? the and the after-tax dollars inside an IRA and a non-deductible IRA. Okay, we'll touch on that when we come back. This is the Laying Money Hour, where smart money talks. 
The Lang Money Hour, where smart money talks, featuring the expert advice of Pittsburgh-based CPA attorney Jim Lang. More coming up on KQV AM 1410. The Lang Money Hour continues on KQV AM 1410. For all of your financial needs, turn to Lang Financial Group in Squirrel Hill, 412-521-2732. Let's talk more smart money. We're talking smart money this evening, and uh, we're here at the Lang Money Hour. I'm here with Jim Lang and Barry Picker. Uh, we're looking at some specific examples out of Barry's new book. Um, one more time, that book is 100 Roth IRA Examples and Flowcharts. It, it is such a tremendous tool. Great resource to have in your personal library. Um, if you want to order the book, 1-800-809-0015, or you can hop on Barry's website, pwacpa.com. Barry, one of the things that I know that you have been doing is something that, that I have been a big fan of um, for many years, and that is to proactively take advantage of non-deductible IRAs. So if somebody is still working and they make too much money to make a Roth IRA contribution to contribute money to a non-deductible IRAs, but perhaps even more interesting for people who already have non-deductible IRAs or they have after-tax dollars inside their retirement plan, which is conceptually the same. That is, they didn't get a deduction for the money. The money is growing tax-deferred and someday when they, or perhaps even their heirs, make withdrawals, part of it will be taxable and part of it will, will not be. But you had a, a, alluded earlier to, um, in effect, buying out your, our partner, Uncle Sam. And I know that you have some strategies um, regarding after-tax dollars inside an IRA and after-tax dollars, which in, is the same as a non-deductible IRA, and after-tax dollars inside a retirement plan. So I thought I'd ask you what you do with those monies and then maybe I'll compare that with what I'm doing and and maybe shed some light on the subject for our listeners. Okay, well what we try to do is take advantage of a provision in the law having to do with how you can transfer after-tax money. Uh, so if you have after-tax money in a retirement plan, you can move that along with the taxable money into an IRA. And if you do that, then whatever was uh, after-tax money in the retirement plan becomes after-tax money in the IRA. But what's interesting is that provision in the law that says that you can move money from an IRA into a retirement plan says that you cannot move the after-tax money that's in an IRA into another retirement plan other than an IRA, which you can, but let's talk about company plan. So if you have money in an IRA that includes after-tax money, then what we like to do is move the before-tax money from that IRA into a company retirement plan, and then we have an IRA that only has after-tax money. And then we convert that IRA because we convert it tax-free because there's no taxable income in that IRA. And when we do that, we've now seeded a Roth IRA for free, and there's no tax on the money going into the Roth, and hopefully there will never be any money coming out of that Roth. I think it's a great plan. Well, the, the numbers that we have run on that indicate that if you were to make a $50,000 Roth IRA conversion of after-tax dollars, um, or non-deductible IRAs, which we don't find is all that atypical in, let's say, a million-dollar account, that in 40 years, you, or if you're not alive at that point, your heirs will be $500,000 better off. So that strategy can give somebody $500,000 worth of value in the future, and the great thing about it is it doesn't cost any tax dollars up front. Now, what we often end up doing to, now, we still have the aggregation rules and the proration rules to worry about. We usually get around those using a one-person 401k plan, and I was wondering if you do the same thing. We do the same thing. The, the idea is that in, in order to move the money out of the, the IRA, you have to have a, a plan that will accept the money. Uh, if you're working for a company that, that 
whose plan will not accept the money, but you have some self-employment income, then you set up, as you mentioned, a one-person 401k. The thing that we tell people to be careful about is that this has to be a 401k-type plan, uh, which does cost a little bit more money to set up than, let's say, a SEP IRA. But a SEP IRA will not work for this because the SEP IRA is still an IRA plan. And the idea is that you have to get the money out of the IRA into something else. And that's what your one-person 401k is. Right, but to, but, but to put it in perspective, you know, we're really just talking, even including um, the administration fee, we're still talking about 100 or a couple hundred dollars a year, not not thousands and thousands, and the benefits can be measured in thousands and thousands. Is that fair? Oh, the the, the fee is is not even in the discussion. Right, right. Okay, I mean, right. It, it's so so not you know not important for what we're doing. Right now, sometimes you know I have a lot of retirees as clients that have substantial um, amounts of after-tax dollars inside their IRA. And what we have tried to do, and, and sometimes the problem that we have for setting up the new one-person 401k plan is they don't have earned income. So then we, we literally go out and look for ways for them to find earned income, maybe doing, if they already have it, that's even better. But for, for example, doing a little consulting with a company they used to work with, or if there's a family business to um, have the family business give them some legitimate income that they can report um, as self-employed income or maybe work at the golf course or, you know, um, I have a lot of college professors and some of them will write a paper or they will they will um, give a talk or something like that. But we have found that, that that strategy is just so wonderful in terms of making a Roth IRA conversion for free. Yeah, and we've not had too much trouble getting people to have some amount of, of earned income to yeah. get that, uh, that plan off the ground. And, and the other advantage of that, there, there's two other advantages that aren't, that aren't even necessarily well known. If you have, for example, as your major um, holder of your retirement plan, be this 401k rather than a traditional IRA, there's two advantages that we found. Number one is that if you die and you leave it to a non-spouse, let's say your children or grandchildren, they can actually make a Roth IRA conversion of an inherited 401k plan, which they, if, so if you just left them an IRA, they would not be allowed to make a Roth IRA conversion of an inherited IRA, but they are allowed to make a Roth IRA conversion of an inherited 401k. That's I, correct. It's such a strange quirk in the law, but that's what the law is right now. It's it, very strange. It, it, it is strange, but, but that really, in, in, in my book, I actually say that that might be the, in effect, replacement for the IRA to some extent is the one-person 401k. The other, the other argument that I've heard, and I've heard this go both ways, is that some people feel that that one-person 401k, which is an ERISA plan, provides better creditor protection than a traditional IRA. I don't know if you have heard that also. Uh, I've heard it. Uh, we're lucky here in New York that our IRAs are, are very, very well protected. Um, so it's not that much of an issue here. Uh, but again, you have to keep in mind that when people retire, sometimes they move to other states. With an IRA, you're subject to the creditor protection rules of that new state that you move to, which may not be as good as uh, some other states, whereas your 401k, as you mentioned, has ERISA protection, which is federal, and that will follow you wherever you go. Right, and I, I find that an advantage. By the way, one other quick note on, on people moving um, from where they are now to a different state. To me, we actually factor that in for Roth IRA conversions. So, for example, in Pennsylvania, you don't have to pay, um, you don't get an income tax deduction or a break either for making an IRA or making a contribution to your retirement plan. But then when you take the money out, you ultimately don't have to pay taxes on the distribution or even the growth of the IRA or 401k. So Pennsylvania is probably not necessarily a great state to work because you don't get the tax deduction 
but it's a good state to retire because you do get the tax deduction. And, and here in New York, which is different, and the retirement income is taxed uh, with some exclusion, um, we actually have people that we hold off doing the Roth conversion because they plan on moving to Florida, which does not have an income tax. And with the New York tax rates, we say that you're better off waiting and do, doing the conversion later when you're no longer in New York. Yeah, that, that, that is another not well-known factor that, that people have to take into consideration. If they're staying in the same state, and, and also Pennsylvania, for example, you don't have to pay the taxes on a Roth IRA conversion either. So maybe what people should do is make the Roth IRA conversion now in Pennsylvania and then move to New York. Or I might come visit you someday. <laughs> okay, okay, very good. Alrighty, I think we are at the end of our hour already. Um, Barry, thank you so much for joining us uh, It's been today. a pleasure. Great having you. Again, if you want Barry's book, jump on his website, pwacpa.com. And um, just a quick note again about our workshops. If you want to hear more about this, you want to hear Jim in person, you have questions, bring your questions, bring your bring your. Uh, Bring your papers. Bring everything. Uh, we'll take a look at it for you. Jim will be available March Saturday, March 20th at the Pittsburgh Golf Club. Uh, two sessions again, nine, one at 9.30, last two hours, and we have another one at 1 o'clock uh, p.m. Jim, what, what are you going to be covering again? Want to well, give us a little? Well, I, I'll be covering a lot of the concepts that we talked about today, but I'll also talk about some of a, a very good way to look at Roth IRA conversions in a much more basic and a much more mm -hmm. simplified format. I, I didn't go through some of the simple stuff with Barry because when you have somebody of Barry's caliber, sure. I, I just wanted to really get to the advanced good stuff. But the sure. workshop does cover, let's call it, some of the basics that will lead you to have a better understanding of some of the more sophisticated um, strategies that we are using. Okay, so come out and join us. All attendees do get a complimentary uh, copy of Jim's uh, best-selling book, Retire Secure. And if you want to uh, reserve your space, give us a call. You can call us. This number answers 24 hours, 1-800-387-1129 or jump on our website at retiresecure.com. And actually, this is a very special opportunity, I want to tell you. If anybody out there, if you belong to an organization or a group and you can't come to the public workshop, we can come to you. So if, you, if you're a part of a group, um, organization that, that you feel that you would love to have a private presentation, please give me a call. Um, I'm Nicole. I'm the marketing director for Jim um, at Lang Financial. And uh, you can call me directly at 412-521-2732. And, um, again, we, we thank you for joining us. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. And this is the Lang Money Hour, where smart money talks. Thanks for listening to the Lang Money Hour, where smart money talks. Portions of the audio that you just heard will be posted online at retiresecure.com. You can also find a list of upcoming events and topics at retiresecure.com. To seek Jim's advice personally or to speak to a member of his dedicated staff at Lang Financial Group in Squirrel Hill, call 412-521-2732. Join us again in two weeks when we talk more smart money.